Well, that's just awesome. That is just awesome. Wow. It is so fun to be in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus' disciples were scared. They were frustrated. They were hungry. They were hurting. But they were never bored. Amen. I don't ever want to be bored. I don't think Jesus wants that in his uh, theology, that we're ever bored. My message today that I'm going to get to in just a minute after a short announcement is about basically every part of the body of Christ just being who they are and being their part, doing their part. The Bible talks about every joint supplying. It's not just talking about the joints of a body, but every member of a body. You know, your liver functions, your heart, they're all, all hands on deck to keep your body healthy. And when a church is 100% healthy, the day's going to come when Legacy Church can just write a check right now, today, and supply all their needs. If every joint supplies in a church, there is no lack. And that day is going to come for us where you will have the faith to believe that what you are in the body of Christ is critical and important. And the part you play affects the world. And so the day is going to come, Legacy, when we'll have an appeal like this and we'll stand up and say, let's take an offering and every joint will supply, and all the needs will be met. Now, maybe that day's closer than I think, and you're being touched right now. I'm just going to let the Lord speak to you. I don't want you to feel pressured. God doesn't pressure. He gives you excitement and faith. So I'm not pressuring you today. You just look at the Lord and ask the Lord what he wants to do in your life. And I would like a car for them that goes more than 100,000 miles. That whatever God gives them will be dependable transportation. In Jesus' name. The one they're driving now has about 190000 on it. Thank you, Jesus, for Toyota. But the Cadillac has pooped out. So anyway, <clears throat> and that was a donated car for them. So it wasn't like they were expending extra money. It was a gift. Well, the other exciting thing for me is... Um, they have invited me to come join them in August for their graduation. So. so I'm believing in faith that the name of Jesus is bigger than any virus's name and that I'll be able to travel at the end of August, beginning of September, and be a part of that graduation and their revival and hug some of those kids. Can I do that? Awesome. Okay. Boy, did you see those little kids loving on Jesus. Doesn't it just melt your heart? I get to go do that, Lord willing. You know, as Pastor Bert used to say, Lord willing and the crick don't rise. All right. Well, we, I have an excited announcement to make. Um, it may seem early to mention this, but Easter Sunday's on its way, April 12th. Uh, I felt an extra urgency this year and a good urgency to begin to pray and plan for that. Um, our staff has been already engaging in what we're going to have to do and what we get to do to fish for Jesus. And I believe the Lord is, uh, just like he said to Peter, throw it on the other side. Peter's boat got full. They had to bring in a second boat. And that's what God, I believe, is getting ready to do for us for Easter. Um, I think we can all agree that Jesus loves Easter. He really invested heavily in creating a global holiday for us and for those who are far off from him. I don't usually begin praying this early, 
but I believe this is going to be an unusual, exciting year for us here. Two things are hitting me as I pray for all of us. Number one, the greatest thing any and all of us can do is to say something, to invite others. We're going to talk more specifically about some fun things that you can do to invite. We're going to have an off-the-chart thing for kids. I mean, any young family is going to love Easter, even if they're not churched, especially if they're not churched, I believe. The second thing I believe is that the Lord wants us to open the doors of legacy as wide as we can. So that we can reach as far as we can into our community. I don't think we're the only ones that should have church under trees for Jesus. No doors, so to speak. Uh, to open our doors twice on that Sunday will open them wide, give us a multiple chance to reach into people's lives. So on Easter Sunday, for the first time in our history, Legacy Church will offer two services, one at 9.30 and one at 11. So you have two opportunities to invite. We have never done this before, so this is a little step of faith for us. It's going to ask that more servants step up and you actually serve at one service and attend the other. So you'll still get to be a part of the Easter service as an adult in the congregation, but with two services, you'll actually get a double dip and actually get to serve and love on Jesus. So love on people, love on Jesus. That's somewhere in the book, right? <clears throat> we have, uh, uh, in the coming weeks, we'll be sharing more specifically, but for now, concerning Easter at Legacy, would it please the Lord if we all begin to pray for asking largely of the Lord. So I want to ask you to do that, to begin to pray for this service on a large sense and on an individual sense that God will just, well, let's see what he does. Amen. Let's give God a blank check and let him write on it. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, will you turn with me this morning to John 13 as a place of beginning? The name of the message today is a continuation about being a servant for the Lord, and it's called the royal robe. And last week I showed you a biblical theology, a theological model of the robe that Jesus wore as the king, and kings wore purple or blue in their day. And at the end of the service I showed you Jesus' royal robe. That's his royal robe. It's an apron of service. And... Uh, I was tickled when I found out this is what an apron of service looks like in Africa. Ooh, this is what Jesus would wear in Africa. I think he could wear it here for a barbecue and have a better burger even. So these are the robes of Jesus. I'll just leave them here. Oh, here's another one. And I understand that one or two of you could take these home with you if the Lord would speak to you about being generous. How much, how much do you ask for these? $19 for Jesus' robe. Boy, that's a good deal. That's awesome. People would pay thousands of dollars for those anywhere else. So these are the royal robes of Jesus. A servant's robe. And in John 13, it begins the story of the end of Jesus' life on earth, the physical life. He's leaving a last very important. He's got very little time with his disciples, and he's spending it doing this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. 
He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. So he got up. Yeah, it was time for supper. Wait, did I miss something? How did we go there? I don't know. Maybe the third verse. There we go. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Is there another slide? I think that's it, isn't it, guys? What an amazing story where King Jesus gets up. I mean, this guy left heaven as number one. And now he's on earth as number 13. Yeah? He's put himself at the bottom of the heap at that room. He's not the smartest guy in the room. He is the smartest guy in the room, and yet he humbles himself and washes the disciples' feet. I began to look at this story, and God began to work on my heart about breaking down this story because Jesus was, and in my heart, and I know in yours, and he still is, the greatest leader ever in the history of the earth. You could argue it if you want, but you and I know he sits alone at the top of that competition. Jesus was the greatest leader that ever lived. I know Napoleon was great and Caesar and yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody compares to Jesus. Caesar's kingdom has ceased to exist. Napoleon's kingdom has ceased to, so to speak, exist. No other kingdom on earth. All the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ. And he's now reigning and will reign forevermore. He is the greatest leader over every leader. He is Lord of lords. He is king of all kings. So I would like to know what it took for him to be the leader he is. I think the Bible is very clear that he is a pattern for us. He's a model for us. Jesus says, and he, we don't believe this, I don't think, but we need to have our faith arise. Jesus said, these things you see me do, and what? Greater shall you do. What a great leader to say to us, you can't do what I do, I'm too good. Jesus never said that. He was a great leader. He said, I'm going to show you a way to lead like I lead, and it's within your ability if you're filled with my spirit. I'm going to fill you with my spirit from on high, and you shall be filled with power to be like me. You can't do it now, but tarry in Jerusalem, and you wait till I pour out my power upon you, and I will give you my juice to run you like me. And it, 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 God gives us the Holy Spirit, and he endues us with his power. He gives us his power. So Jesus' message, believe it or not, to the world is incredibly relevant still in our world today. Not just in churches, but if anybody could model the way Jesus led, they'd be one of the greatest leaders of all times. They would be the greatest leader in their corporation. You'd be the greatest leader in your neighborhood. And it's not about being the greatest, it's about being your best. And when we look at it, it's amazing. When I was getting my master's degree in education, I was just tickled by how many Bible principles they began to teach because they tried all the others and they were failing miserably so they started finding out what worked and all they started doing was teaching Bible principle. 
One of the greatest lessons they taught, strongest lessons they taught us, is there's two types of leaders and managers. There's a boss manager and there's a lead manager, and they begin to break it down. And all they did with the boss manager was to tell us how the world does it when you're king, when you're the ruler, when you're the biggest, baddest guy. You just make everybody do what you want them to do because you have the power to do it, or you have the power to fire them if they don't do it. And they began to explain what a lead manager was, and they basically just described Jesus. It was pretty cool. And they had no idea. They just said, this works, you know. And they began telling us what the difference was between a boss and a servant leader, really. Well, in 2001, a man wrote a book that really shocked the business world, or at least put a lot of the business philosophy on its head. It sold over 4 million books, according to Wikipedia. So that's got to be true. It was a bestseller. The author's name was Jim Collins, and the book was Good to Great. In his book, he had a number of researchers on his staff, and he said, I want to go find out what took the average companies to the great level. He said, there's a lot of good companies that stay good. There's a lot of bad companies that get worse. There's a lot of bad companies that can kind of get good, but there's only a few number of companies. They began to use a rubric and a survey to determine what companies went from good to great and then were sustaining that greatness. And they numbered a number of companies. One was Southwest, one was Walgreens, and they explained why these companies were in the mix. And he said, I want you to go into all these companies, you research college kids, and you get out there, and you find out what it was that took them from good to great. And he said, and I don't want you to tell me it's the boss. Too easy of an answer. I do not want you to tell me it's the CEO. You find out the real reason. Because no one person can take an entire big corporation like Southwest from good to great. And they began to research and compile and come back, and it shocked the researchers that it literally was the CEO of the company that generated the biggest move to greatness. And they began to call him a level or her a level five leader. They began to break it out. and Okay, what's the difference between this president and that president, this CEO and that CEO? And they began to categorize leaders, level one, level two, level three, level four. And the top leader was called a level five leader and they described when they were done, Jesus. Now, they didn't say that in the book. But quickly, that author and those publishers flipped a nonprofit version of Good to Great for churches because it applied right across the board for churches. It was awesome. Jim Collins was his name. It has now been accepted that his principles are very well received around the business world. Now, it's a semi-simplistic approach if you have a real complicated company, but the reality is if your company is led by servant leaders who are wise, you have potential to go great. If you're a selfish leader, your potential is minimized. Many of these great CEOs of this company took a year or two and made a dollar a year salary to get the company back up on its feet. The good companies, the CEO was taking his golden parachute and heading to Tahiti. And the personalities that were the most charismatic didn't make the list. These were people that were, they said it was surprisingly mundane to meet with these people that were CEOs. Just like the world passed up Jesus when he was here, right? Wow. Other books have been written about Jesus' leadership and business. Jesus, CEO, 
is a book about Jesus and how you can translate what Jesus did into being a CEO of a company. Uh, I've had some of you give me a book called Doing Business by the Book. And it's about how you can do business by the Bible. The Bible is true and real. And if you can live what Jesus taught, if you can live what Jesus did, you can be the most successful anything. And the reality is you're all leaders. Once you have Jesus in your heart, you take on the greatest leader in your life. You become leaders at wherever you're at in the world. Your influence is like, Jesus said something like this, you are the light of the world. And you cannot be hid once I'm in you. You're a city set on a hill that everybody looks to. That's your heritage as a child of the Most High King. You and I are leaders wherever we go. And I'll get more into that and how you can lead in the home, in your schools. And I think more than anything else, it'll be a little open-ended because I can't describe every place and everything you are and everywhere you go. But the reality is when you can take on the servant's heart of a leader, you lead. The least become the greatest. God confines, confounds the most wise in a company by raising up the simple. His wisdom is beyond what the world can comprehend. This lesson today applies to fathers, mothers, grandparents, and all generations. Kids, your leaders in your school. Mother-in-laws, your leaders. My, my mother's mother-in-law came in the first time she was in my mom's home and began rearranging the cupboards because they weren't the way they should have been. That's not a servant leader mother-in-law. My mother was passive-aggressive, so she just nodded and smiled and hated my grandma for years after that. You will be more effective as a leader at every level if you learn to lead like Jesus led. You know, serving does feed us. It's counterintuitive. If I give, 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 then I'll go hungry. But there was a story in the Bible where Jesus met this poor woman at the well who had been married five times, was living with number six, and the greatest, holiest man in the world submitted and humbled himself to serve her. And he loved on her to health. He loved on her to God. And when she was done, she left her little earthly water pail at the well and ran into the city and told everybody about this man she met. Meanwhile, the disciples come up to Jesus with the food from the town. They brought a big bag of to-go food from McDonald's, and they brought it to Jesus. And uh, he said, I have food. I have bread you don't know of. And they said, okay, who fed him while we were gone? But what Jesus was saying, it's my bread to do the will of the Father. When I serve, it feeds me. How many can witness to that, that when you do that? Amen. Isn't that awesome? It takes a big person to do something small. Joel Olstein said that, so it's gospel. <laughs> the greatest model of a leader of all time. How did Jesus lead? Well, let's look very quickly at this today. We're going to go over two things that Jesus did in the start. And every one of these verses breaks down. If you ever want to do an awesome study, just start and we... Hopefully, we'll get through a lot of this in the next coming weeks where we break down John 13 as a textbook for how to be a servant leader. Right off the bat, Jesus says to them, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done in the 15th verse. And so today, we're going to talk about the royal robe and how to become servant leaders. The principles of Jesus as a servant leader. 
going to number one. Jesus knew that his hour had come. This is verse one. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. I see two principles in just verse one. And we're only going to go through these two and then be done today. Number one, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave. You know that Jesus, when he hit the earth at uh, his ministry at 30, he knew he wasn't going to be 90 when he left. He didn't have 60 years with his apprentices. How long did he have? Can you imagine taking a bunch of fishermen from zero to Jesus in three years? He didn't mess around. One of the first principles of being a servant leader is what I call urgent apprenticeship. Urgently apprentice others. Don't don't dilly-dally around. Don't be slow or reluctant to share your wealth with them, your wealth of power, your wealth of knowledge, your wealth of leadership, your wealth of position. Leaders are rich in the organization because they're the highest, the tallest, the best, the brightest, the knowingest. Share that quickly with those around you. Begin to share your knowledge, share your position, share your part of the organization with them. Push them up before you think they're ready or before they think they're ready. See in them things they don't see in themselves and make them wealthy along with you. It pushes our flesh to share the wealth because like the world, our flesh thinks like politics. You know, in Washington, D.C., they say there's a piece of pie And every political agenda takes a piece of the pie, and there's a limited amount of pie. So if you give up any of your pieces, you'll never get it back. That's politics in Washington. It's not an unlimited amount of pie. There's only so much power. The more I get, the less you have. The more you get, the less I have. That's not Jesus. When I'm I'm generous with the power God has given me. You know, one of the greatest scriptures in the world is where Jesus says, blessed are the humble and meek, for they're the ones I want to give the world to. That's what it means. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit my earth. Not the greatest, grandest, strongest, stingiest, but the most generous, the most meek, the most humble leader will gain the organization. He'll gain his world because he's sharing the wealth. Give up yourself, of yourself, by training and raising up others. When? You don't have 20 years. You don't have 40 years. You got three. You got three weeks. You got three months. Great missionaries replace themselves very quickly. And that works really good for missionaries. But here in America, as pastors, we hold on to our churches forever, and you're not going to get any of it. That's not really true. And when you raise up an apprentice, that does not mean you're replacing yourself. That means you're multiplying yourself. I I long for the day when we get so large that we have too many people for this building, so we got to go out and buy another building, and somebody's got to go pastor that besides me, amen? And if I don't raise up an apprentice, we'll have a building and people before we can even have another church. I can't wait around to apprentice based on I'll be here till I'm 90, and then I'll turn over the keys. But we must urgently apprentice those around us because the more and quicker we do that, the more God can begin to give us as the man who took his talent and invested it and had five. And then God, whoever invests more, gets more. And it's, it's and sharing the wealth with others begins to multiply your church, multiply the works of God. And it doesn't diminish you. It increases you and feeds your soul. 
You know, I was quite a phenomenal basketball player at one time. Just ask the old people around here. I'm a legend in my own mind. And then I began to coach basketball, and the day came when I had a protege that I taught in basketball, and I would watch him or her play and have more pride and joy watching that than when I ever played myself. Mom and dads, you can relate to that, can't you? If you have the heart of Jesus, you'd lot rather see your kids perform and excel than when you got the award at state tournament. At least that's the way we ought to be. Our ceiling ought to be their floor, and we ought to rejoice in it. Jesus was always aware of the short time he had to share his ministry and life with others. The wonderful thing about serving others is there's a great, and I put the word in here, multitudinous reward in serving others. It's not just financial. It's, not, it's, it's amazing when you bless others around you and you can serve them and raise them up you will be blessed in so many multitudinous ways you can't even really define it when you get started. Don't assume it's limited. God will do all kinds of amazing and great things for you through serving them. Jesus said, I have bread you know not of. This is my bread to do the will of the Father and to serve, to put on my royal robe and be a servant leader. Well, principle number two is the second part of verse 1, part B, he had loved his disciples. Look at this. He loved his disciples during his ministry. This is huge. Principle number two is love is the key to being a servant leader. It's very difficult to serve others you don't love. It's very tough to lead people you don't like. The more you love them, the funner it is to set them free and watch them do their thing. One pastor that was in a big church says, I was ground to a halt by all my busyness. And I learned that my biggest enemy was the word yes. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. He said, I finally realized that no was the most powerful word I had in preserving my ministry. And he said, so what I had to start saying was no to everything everybody wanted me to do, but to begin to raise people up. And he said this. I began to delegate to people that could do it 50% as good as me. And all of us go, what? He said, yeah, don't wait till they're 90% as good as you or 80% as good as you. Don't wait that long. When I began to quickly apprentice, because I love these people, more quickly, and of course, if they continued to go from 50% to 40% to 30%, something's wrong, fix that. But he began to have more confidence and love in people if they could just do it X amount. Again, you're not replacing yourself. You're multiplying your ability. He began to do more in his ministry with less time. He impacted Jesus greater with less effort. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden's light, so if it's not that way, you're not leading right. That ought to be a, a rap. <laughs> Come on, Ben, get it going. <laughs> Every now and then I get jiggy with it. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> by, by the way, there is, a, there is a theological mandate in our staff that says, Pastor, don't ever say that publicly. All right, so <clears throat> I just, I just, I'm going to have to go on repentance here next week. Especially maybe, and even in church ministry, volunteering and serving, 
one of the first things that's easy to lose is our ability to love during that process of ministry. It's, it's weird that in serving Jesus, we get into the volunteering, the serving, the ministering, and we have trouble continuing loving people during our ministry. <laughs> I mean, Jesus should have made a commandment, love one another. I think that should be somewhere. Yeah, that's why he had to command it. It wasn't a strong suggestion. It wasn't say, this will be easy, but just don't forget. No, no, this is my commandment that you love one another. Peter, do you love me? Serve the people. Peter, do you love me? Serve the little kids. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know that I love you. Then love on all the kids. Love on all the people. Love, 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 love. Don't lose that in your volunteering. Don't lose that in your service. The best servants are the ones that love the kids the most when they volunteer on a Sunday morning. Yeah. We're going to get an opportunity to love on people on Easter. And you're going to get multiple chances to do that. Begin to pray that God will so fill you with love, you can't wait to be here two times on Sunday. And just love on everybody that comes to the door. It will be the neatest act of volunteerism you could ever do. So Jesus loved during his ministry. Look at this scripture out of the Message Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 3. No matter what I say, no matter what I believe, and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. It's out of the Message Bible, the love chapter. Galatians 5, 13 through 15, I'm closing with this one. Serve one another humbly in love. You can't serve if you don't love. You can serve, but you can regret. Now, moms and dads, there's days, a lot of them, it's hard to love your kids through the 93rd diaper. I, I get it. The 93rd time you're up at 3 in the morning. Don't beat yourself up. Jesus understands that. And serving in the house of God can be the same way. Just search and try your ways. Every morning, get up. His mercies are new every morning. God, I need new mercies today because I blew it yesterday or my heart wasn't right. God, I'm so tired. I can't see anything but my weariness. Jesus, help me come away with you and restore my love for this job, restore my love for my role as a parent, restore my job as, a, as my role as a teacher, as a child, a student, a, a daughter, a son. Restore my love, Lord. If we can get back to center and love, Service, be service becomes a part of our DNA. For the entire law, Paul says, is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to go to this one. And the next verse says, for if you bite or hinder and devour, put down, criticize each other, watch out or you will be destroyed, consumed, ruined by each other. Don't let this world's philosophy in. Don't let the world's philosophy keep you from leading like Christ. Don't be critical. Don't try to hinder people's growth. Don't try to put them down. It only comes back to devour you and hinder you and your growth and your promotion and your prospects in Jesus. When we get critical and when we pick, try to put somebody down so we can look higher at it ultimately just kills both of us, the Bible says. 
this is where you're the leader. Because if you're in politics with a Jesus attitude, you'll lead politics. Yes? It won't be this division and biting and devouring that we see in our nation in the political arena. You will lead with love. You'll lead with service. You'll change the heart and attitude of your political world. You will lead for Jesus. If you're in a faculty room and a staff room and criticism's going all over and you can just begin to pray, okay, what's the love answer here, God? What's the service answer here, God? You may say one little thing in that faculty room and lead the entire school. You're in a corporation, you're in a business. Don't think like the world. Don't criticize, devour, bite, put down, hinder. Begin to pray, God, what would you do, Jesus, if you were here? How would you lead Jesus if you were here? If you were on the, on the assembly line floor like I am, God, and I'm hearing this, God, how can I lead in service here, God, and turn the world around? In Romans, Paul says this, do not be overcome by evil but overcome the evil around you by good. Lead the world, folks. Lead your world by serving with love. Verse 1, two principles of Jesus in how to be a servant leader. I'm going to ask you to stand. Sophia is going to begin to play, and you just marinate on this in the Lord. Just search and try your ways and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a little chiropractic adjustment if needed or let him create in you something that's not there. Give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Don't beat yourself up. Just ask, where do I go from here, Lord? Don't look back. We all blow it. Pastors, most of all. So we have to have forgiveness for ourselves because none of us are Jesus yet. We're growing towards us. So Sophia, lead us. We're going to have Tony close today.